We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to another Money Matters podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you are a regular listener, you'll know that I am Danny Hewson and I'm joined as always by Laura Souter. Hi, Laura. Hi there. So this week we are continuing our hunt for positivity and there's some pretty cool stuff to get excited about. Firstly, a 64-year-old woman is dominating the global box office. So big congratulations to Barbie there. Yeah, and I absolutely love the diverse coverage that she has been getting. There's a fab piece from Moira O'Neill in the Financial Times over the weekend, considering whether or not Barbie should consider buying an annuity, um, assuming that she's now consolidated all of her hundreds of different pension pots from all her different jobs. But I have to say, it's been absolutely brilliant hearing all the comments, seeing all the clever marketing gimmicks, which are all focused on strong women and positivity and optimism. Have you been to see the film yet, Laura? Not yet. I've got plans with my friends to go and see it, um, but not till next week. So, but I mean, yeah, big up to the Barbie marketing team because they are dominating all of the news and the front pages. Um, <laughs> but it's nice to have a bit of pink fueled positivity for the summer, I think. And it gives everybody an excuse to get out and wear their pink clothes as well. I don't think I've ever seen quite so many photographs of women in their pink clothes as I have seen this weekend. But I must admit, I, I have haven't seen it yet either. I too have plans to go next week with my mum and my two teenagers. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But I don't think I can quite go the Barbenheimer route. I'm not sure I could cope with five hours in the cinema. Just the toilet situation leaves me a bit cold there. I think it's too much and I would just get too hyped up on pick and mix. No one should have that much time around pick and mix, particularly not me when I have no restraint. Um, but continuing the theme of women dominating the headlines, we've got the biggest ever Women's World Cup, which has just kicked off in Australia. And we've got a record 32 teams competing and the prize pot is better than it has been before. But it still is short of where the men's game is. And lots of women are still having to juggle having a normal job with their football careers. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot more about that in just a second. We'll also be hearing from Nikki Ramskill, Dr. Nikki Ramskill, the fabulous female money doctor who takes her experience of being a GP and uses it to help women with their financial well-being. Music to our ears. She's going to be addressing what things are like at the moment as a GP working in the NHS and how she is concerned that the cost of living crisis and post-pandemic waiting lists are having a real impact on women's financial lives. But first, before we hear that, let's go to women's sport. So obviously there's good news and there's bad news as that World Cup has got started in Australia. The great headline news is that women are getting paid far more than they were at the last World Cup in 2019. There's a total prize fund of $110 million, which is triple that of the previous Women's World Cup. 
But the slightly negative news is that they are still really lagging the prize pot for men by a huge margin. In fact, they're only getting a quarter of the $440 million that men got in the World Cup last year. Now, FIFA thinks that they might get parity by 2027, which will be the next Women's World Cup. But it's I think really interesting to see that gender pay gap laid out so barely there and so stark. And obviously the games are kind of in different places, but still it's interesting to see those figures. It is really interesting and it has really stoked up the debate about women's sport and the levels of pay that they should be getting. Loads and loads of column inches have been dedicated to this, which I'm really pleased to see. Um, I was taking a look at just some of the different sports and one which really caught my eye was cricket. Um, Here in the UK, the International Cricket Council has announced that its men's and women's competitions will have equal prize money from now on. Um, So they'll get the same amount of money when they finish in equivalent positions at comparable events. uh, And they'll also earn the same amount for winning a match at those events. But clearly still big issues. However, one of the most brilliant things is the number of people watching women's sport. And there was um, a bit of research done by the Women's Sports Trust um, earlier this year looking at um, how much time was spent watching women's sport last year. And it was more than double the figure of the previous year. So uh, an average viewer watched eight hours and 44 minutes of women's sport in 2022 compared with just three hours and 47 minutes in 2021. And what I really liked is that Some people were watching women's sport, but not men's sport. So you had 8.4 million people of both genders watching women's Super League games, but not the Premier League. So, you know, clearly there is a huge appetite and 21.2 million viewers watched two hours or more of women's sport in 2022. And that is more than the equivalent figure for I'm a celebrity, get me out of here which was just over 19 million viewers, Strictly Come Dancing, about the same, and The Great British Bake Off. So, you know, this just demonstrates the forward motion here, which I think is massively exciting to see. Yeah, and I think it's just a case where salaries have to catch up and once those viewing figures are higher and once, you know, advertisers put more money behind it, then more money will follow. But if we look at the women's team, so I dug out some figures on the average salary for playing in the Women's Super League and it's around £26,000 a year. Now, some people will be earning more than that. Um, There are some that are earning much more, you know, around the £400,000 mark, but some that will be earning much less. But when you compare that to the Premier League, they have an average salary of £61,000 a week. So about £3 million a year (laughs) for the average salary. So you can see that huge difference there. Now, the FA now says it pays the same to men and women for representing England for match fees and bonuses. What's interesting is I read... um, 
an interview recently with England and Man City defender Alex Greenwood. And she acknowledged that there's a lot of focus on the pay disparity at the moment. Um, But she said she's just pleased it's moving in the right direction. She said the men and women's games are in very different places, but we're going in the right direction. And the reason it's going in that direction is because it's been successful. So I thought it was interesting from here from someone who's actually directly impacted by that. She actually later on in the interview said, I'm not sitting at home crying about the fact that men are earning more. She just is enthusiastic about spreading the word about the game and and doing well in the sport and is encouraged by the fact that at least it's going in the right direction, even if there is still that huge gulf between the salaries of men and women. I mean, £61,000 a week, Laura. I could make a a good dent in that, I have to say. I think I'd work for like a few months and then just retire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bonkers. Um, but you were talking about bonuses there and um, England's Lionesses uh, were in the midst of bonus discussions with the FA ahead of the World Cup. And Millie Bright, the captain, um, issued a statement just before the World Cup kicked off in Australia saying that the team were really disappointed that the issue hasn't been resolved ahead of the World Cup. Um, saying the FA's decision not to offer the England team bonus payments on top of the fees they'll earn from FIFA has been a bone of contention, but it's been set aside um, whilst the World Cup takes place. Um, now, it's we are focusing on football, and it's really interesting that women's football, rather like men's football, tends to, to dominate um, any discussions about sport. And... There is a real concern. Um, you know, we had the FA talking about it, it takes broadcasters to put the money into women's sport in order for us to be able to lift up the amount that we are paying in things like, um, you know, general wages and bonuses. But there is also a concern that broadcasters, though they are waking up to the fact that people are really interested in women's football they might spend all the money that they have for women's sport on women's football and then neglect other sports. You know, I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago we were all talking about netball because, you know, women's netball was just absolutely electric to watch. And, you know, a lot of those women are working, you know, in schools or juggling families and other jobs and training just to be able to represent their country. And, um, Another thing uh, that is something which is of real concern is the amount of research being done into women's sport, women playing sport. There's so much research that goes on into men's sport. And a lot of the advances that we get at the moment are coming off the back of research which has been done into men's sporting participation, but so very little being done about women playing sport. Um, So I, I think... I'm really excited to watch this tournament. I think it's absolutely brilliant that, like Barbie, these Lionesses, the Matildas, all of the women playing in this World Cup are massive role models. But I think it also says something that if you want to get the um, England goalkeeper's shirt, you can't find it for love nor money because there just isn't any interest from um, sponsors to to be able to provide these things. So if you've got a daughter that wants one of those, well, I'm afraid you are going to be out of luck. Um, 
but good luck to all the teams taking part. Good luck particularly to the Lionesses. Um, have you heard the song that accompanies this particular um, World Cup for England? No, I haven't. I feel like we should now get our producer to insert the song here, but we probably don't have the rights to it. So you can hum it if you'd like, Danny, if you want everyone to hear it. Nobody wants that. And to be honest with you, from a personal opinion, it's bubblegum pop at its absolute worst. You want a bit of oomph and a bit of drive and it's kind of insipid, I'm afraid. I, I was a bit sad when I heard it. Um, it, it didn't make me feel good. And, you know, sport is a hugely important part of health and well-being. You know, the, the This Girl Can movement, were you inspired by that, Laura? Yeah, I loved that campaign. I feel like I don't see so much of it anymore. But when it first launched, I thought it was really inspiring and really, really good advertising around it as well. It was. And it just made women of all different shapes and sizes and ages think, do you know what, if I go out in my Lycra and I run down the street, well, I'm just going to get support. People are not going to be looking at me thinking, what are you doing? People are going to be looking at me and thinking, good on you. Um, Because physical health can have a huge impact as well on financial health. And of course, with this podcast, we're always talking about money and uh, women's uh, involvement and emotional response to money and their relationship with money. Uh, And we've spoken before about money and mental health. So do take back at another of our podcasts. Um, That episode was with um, the guys from Stop, Breathe, Think. So it's just absolutely fantastic if you can dig it out. Um, It's well worth a listen. But for this episode, Danny's been talking to the fabulous female money doctor, Nikki Ramsgill. So you can find her on social media at female money doc. And she's also written a chapter for this year's edition of Inspirational Investing. We'll put a link to that on our social media channels so you can download a free copy of that book. Nikki is a GP, so she's got some real insight into the health of the nation. But she's also really passionate about helping women feel better about their money, too. Uh, Nikki, thanks so much for joining us. Um, We have spoken on this podcast before about the impact that mental health issues have on people's financial decision making, ability to earn, you know, the the kind of options that they're choosing when it comes to investments and that sort of long term financial health. But physical health can also have an impact, particularly I'm thinking about at the moment with cost of living pressures, you obviously work in the NHS some of the time. What sort of things are you seeing coming through? Oh, yeah, it's really depressing. <laughs> it's, it's from, a, from a doctor's perspective, it's so hard to see people suffering. And it's usually around not being able to make ends meet, essentially, and cutting out things that we might see as essentials but actually when you've got to decide between keeping the heating and lighting on versus feeding yourself all the time it's the food that tends to go awry so I have a lot of people who say they skip meals they make sure their kids are fed but they they won't necessarily eat every single meal of the day um they'll try and make something last as long as they possibly can um, you know, I heard reports of midwives and, and nurses using food banks. I mean, when I first started the Female Money Doctor in 2017, I had started to hear reports like that. 
but it's just got so much worse in that even in that short space of time um so yes it's I can see every, everybody struggling, even the charities that are there to support people when they're struggling to make ends meet are also finding it difficult because they're just so overwhelmed right now. It's it's tipped more people into that bracket that perhaps wouldn't have been in that bracket before. And when we're talking about people skipping meals or maybe choosing more unhealthy options because they're cheaper, maybe eating a lot more processed food... I'm guessing then that impacts long-term health as well. It impacts energy and the ability to do a good job and earn cash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely for long-term health. I mean, I, I dread to think what kind of time bomb we're sitting on. I mean, even in the war, um, people, when they were on rations, they were making fresh food, weren't they? They were growing food. They were eating vegetables and, and because that's what they could have an abundance of. And less so of the fats and sugars and things. It's completely different now, isn't it? We don't. It's not cheap to be able to eat well. You know, when you when you change your diet, you end up buying things that actually cost a huge amount more money. So if you don't have that luxury or that option, you are going to be eating more carbs, pasta, rice, things like that. And then you're you're going to try and pad these things out. So yes, I can see that there, there's going to be a long term health. Um, crisis at the end of this um not just mental health but as you say physical health as well people being overweight um not having the energy to do what they want to do heart disease um it may be even dementia because you know not being able to eat well also can impact on our you know our brains and how they they work as well and then you've got to think about unborn babies you know the ones that are perhaps suffering from this without they've got no say in it at all have they And, and unfortunately if you do have pregnant women that can't afford to feed themselves properly, then that's going to have an impact on future generations as well. So I think what we, it remains to be seen what happens, but I don't think our generations are getting any healthier. I think actually it's, it's getting worse, if anything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm fearing. <laughs> and anecdotally, I know, um, it's not just an issue impacting women, but I know a lot of women tend to be the ones that do the food shop, um, are thinking about making sure that their kids are eating. Are you seeing more women in this situation? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say because I'm only seeing snapshots of people in my clinics and things, but but certainly I'm now coming across more people who are struggling with anxiety, who are struggling with money problems. Um yeah, so it's it's definitely out there. And I know from from colleagues and things that are working in different areas of the country, perhaps in more deprived areas, they are also struggling with that too. They're seeing a lot more people that they just can't help. There's, there isn't anything a GP can do in that situation. Um, I mean, aside from making someone's prescription perhaps last longer and giving them more tablets per prescription so they don't have to keep paying for regular ones all the time, you know there's not really a lot else we can do it's it's a really really difficult situation to be in um it feels really depressing as a doctor <laughs> um but yeah in i think that's we're just going to see more and more of these sorts of things aren't we um including people skipping out on their prescriptions and not buying things or very often i'll say to someone oh you can go and buy something simple over the counter to fix this problem well can't you prescribe it to me well no i can't because i've now been restricted by the local area, CCG or ICB now, whatever they're called, um, 
to say we're not allowed to prescribe certain things like paracetamol can't give that on a prescription that has to come from the parents or it has to come from you know whoever's going to pay for that Pyroton, things that children have for hay fever. Again, I can't prescribe that. It has to be bought over the counter. And when those things cost seven, eight pounds, you know, just in their own, it all adds up, doesn't it? So I think there are people that are also skipping out on kinds of medications that they should be taking, um, not picking up their prescriptions, not taking their blood pressure pills, which, you know, put that with a bad diet and weight gain is also not looking good. <laughs> And add in waiting lists as well. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another bugbear of mine. Um, waiting lists are just putting people behind so much. Um, chronic pain, you know, having to take more painkillers, not being able to function at work, particularly women with things like endometriosis, for example. They're waiting, 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 um, you know, having to take more and more time off. I've seen a lot more of that sort of thing happening where people are not able to go to work they're fearing that they're going to lose their jobs asking me to write medical certificates for them um a lot of workplaces i've noticed as well are not very sympathetic they seem to be quite ready to um bring someone to come some kind of not a tribunal it's not that's not the right word but to some kind of hearing where they've got to explain themselves you know as if that person's lying and they they aren't ill um and they just want medical certificates to, to cover themselves. And even when you say, look, you can do the first seven days yourself. You don't need me to jump in. Oh, no, my workplace won't accept it. Even though it's a legal document, they are allowed to do that. You have to then cover them with extra things that's put more workload onto GPs in order to, to make sure that person's not going to lose their job. So, yeah, it's a vicious cycle, unfortunately. And we do know that... The government's under increasing pressure to to get people who are off on long-term sick back into the workplace, those who are economically inactive for whatever reason back into the workplace. And we're also hearing that, you know, within that long-term sick, a lot of issues with people working from home, and I know a lot of mums work from home, with things like backache. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the same for me as well. When I was doing a lot of working from home, I, I developed um, horrible back pain. But fortunately, was in a position where my workplace bought me a standing desk, so I was able to then stand, stretch, and and that completely got rid of the problem. But yeah, if you're somebody that sat there with your laptop balanced on pile of books, trying to to do all the things and look after your home, yeah, yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of poor posture out there as well, which also also doesn't help. So you talked about storing up problems for the future. And of course, if people are taking time off work, they're not being able to make ends meet. They're certainly not thinking about investing for the future, not thinking about pensions. And then we get to 67 and women in particular, we know already have less investments than men. This situation is just going to make things worse. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, like the endometriosis, like chronic pain problems, I'm seeing um, older women who are mid-50s, late-50s. I mean, it's still not old, but for them, they just feel done. They're burnt out. They don't want to do any more. They just, they just want out of their jobs. And it might be for something really simple like back pain or that they've got mental health problems because everything's just got too much. They're caring for elderly parents. They've got children that are struggling financially because they can't get on the property ladder and they're still around all the time. 
Plus, they've got the demands of work, which is becoming more and more difficult because obviously workplaces want more from you. Um, then you add the menopause onto that, and it's just it's just a recipe for disaster, really. So yeah, I am I am seeing more women that are dropping out of the workplace quite early. You know, a good 10, 15 years, maybe even twenty years earlier than they should do, and that's prime time to build your pension. I mean compound interest is the way that money makes money over time so you, you need to be in that for as long as you possibly can so that the compounding is working for you if you have significant gaps it's just not going to work you know and then if you've had children you've taken time out from that and then you go part-time you're just not adding in enough that you need I mean we need a much bigger pension than men yet ours is like half the amount on average people only get or become wealthy over time because of that compounding rule. And that means doing something all the time. But it's very tempting to opt out of the pension, isn't it? When you've got to fix the boiler or you've, you know, you've you can't pay for childcare or, or whatever it is. So yeah, it's there's no easy solution because there's too many things that need to be addressed. That's fascinating you say about women feeling burnt out earlier but we had some figures out as we're recording this new jobs figures and I was looking and the number of people economically inactive has started to fall away but when you dig in that's mostly men it's not women and it may be that is because of all the additional stresses and strains that women have on their day-to-day lives yes completely I mean um, I think there was a study by um, Aegon recently and they were looking at the mental load of women They've got so much going on looking after everybody else that they tend to be the ones that fall far low down on the priority list. I mean, I had a lady just yesterday who she said, oh, you know, I started looking into this problem 18 months ago, but, you know, I was told to go away and do something. I didn't do it. And now the problem's worse. And I admit I don't look after myself properly. And that's classic. It's classic. You, you just get so many people that that choose to look after other people before themselves and then things get built up and get worse and before you know it you've got a much bigger problem on your hands and that's that comes down to social conditioning doesn't it and what what we've been taught as children is acceptable for a for a woman and that's another layer that has to be unpicked but um certainly we need to be looking after ourselves more and um, one of my jobs that I I do is around um, health assessments so I do a lot of health assessments for people that work in big corporates that their job pays for them to have a once yearly health assessment. And they literally have a top to toe examination, bloods, everything. And it's really comprehensive. And I'm getting maybe one out of six, two out of six, possibly each each t- day I do this of women. Everyone else is men. And I find that really interesting. Is it because women are just not coming forward for these things or are they in roles that do not offer them this advantage of having a routine health screen. I mean, the women that come get smear tests, they get mammograms, they get breast examinations. That would be amazing if everybody could have that. But it seems to be that it's mostly men that are coming to this clinic. So it's it's really interesting dynamic as well. So we've not only got, you know, the people not looking after themselves, but are we just not offering these kinds of things out more to women in low, you know, lower paying roles even? So I don't know. So what can we do? Because we know it's bad. Um, You know, you you get out and you listen to conversations in the supermarket, you talk to your friends, you read 
newspaper headlines, you look at conversations on social media, we know it's bad. But are there steps that women can take that are free that they can do to maybe change the direction that they're going in? Yeah, um, I I think it comes down to knowledge. So it might just be a case of prioritizing themselves a little bit more and actually saying, right, what do I need to sort out in my life? When was the last time I looked at my finances? When was the last time I looked at my investments? Investment doesn't have to be you sitting there doing that. That could just be your pension. When was the last time you asked for a pension statement? Uh, Just having your state pension um, looked at actually can be really eye-opening because then you can see there are some years perhaps you've missed that you can top up a little bit that give you a massive long-term benefit. So I would say it's prioritizing self-care and some of these things are free. I mean, of course, yes, you have to pay into a pension, which is not free, but perhaps you could ask your workplace if you could increase your contributions because a lot of workplaces actually do match to a certain point as well. So that's that's more free money that you can get hold of. Um, And try not to take it out you can try not to stop those payments even when things feel really hard if that's the only thing you can do and try and muddle through however you can with the rest of it then you know that future you is going to be cared for and it all comes down to self-care money health everything it's all self-care so I think that's the biggest takeaway from this and the biggest thing that I think women can do it's funny you talk about women putting you know their caring responsibilities first other people first I am heading towards a big birthday and about six, seven weeks ago, I thought, I don't feel happy with myself. And I'm running around after my two teenagers, I'm looking after my husband and I haven't done anything for me for ages. So I signed up to an eight week course going to the gym. And it's incredible the difference that that has made to my mental health, to my physical well-being, just to my whole attitude but I'd, I'd never considered that I was lacking that until then. No, you don't realise until you do it. I started sleeping more, so giving myself a little bit more time in bed. <laughs> had a huge impact. I didn't realise how tired I was all the time. I was literally like functioning off of about five hours sleep. It was just not working. So, yeah, you don't know what you don't know until you try it. So self-care isn't selfish. It's just having, it's just putting yourself first so that you can then be able to care for everybody else because if you if you're not looking after yourself you've got nothing to give and you're just giving out resentment and irritability and it's just that's just not a place nice place to come from is it really (laughs) now you've written part of a book an investing series um and one of the things that you talk about in that is the impact of trauma on investing and I think we can all safely say that the cost of living crisis is a huge trauma for pretty much everyone. So what do you think the impact is going to be on a lot of women going forward on their decisions? Oh, I think we're going to have more of what we've had before. So when you look at a lot of magazines, a lot of money articles, it's all about penny pinching. It's all about how can we save money? What vouchers we can use to save money? It's never about investing. And I think through the cost of living crisis, through COVID, everything, it's become increasingly about penny pinching. You know, how can we make this this amount of money go as far as it possibly can? Whereas actually what we should be learning is in a crisis situation, investing is the right time to get involved. Because if you look at people that invested back in 2008 when there was a huge uh, property crash across the world, 
the ones invested actually are now doing really well because their their investments regained and then some. Um, so actually, what I'd love to, to come out of this is this is now the right time to start investing. This is now the right time for the future for you. But my worry is actually it's going to be more the same, more about how to make your money go further without thinking about ways to take advantage of the situation. Because it's always pay your debts off first. It's never about save first. And you can completely understand that when you look at the interest rates on some of these things and, of course, the stress associated with being in debt. But you're right. It's it's a self-perpetuating cycle, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I, the women in my community, I've, I've told, told them that actually, if you can learn to invest and save as well as pay off your debts at the same time, even if you're only putting a token amount towards something, it's still flexing that muscle. You're learning how these things work. I mean, you can put pennies into something like, uh, you know, an app like Moneybox, for example, and you can invest those pennies. And yes, okay, it's not going to make you a millionaire overnight. Of course it's not. But it's a it's a way to start and it's a way to learn. And you say, oh, I put money into that. That's what happens when we have a stock market crash. Ah, now I understand. But you're not worrying because it's only pennies that you're putting in. Um, equally, £25 a month in some platforms, £100 a month. It's not huge amounts of money that you could start off with. And as you get more and more confident, as you pay off your debts, as you get your savings under control, you've then already started the process. You're not starting from scratch. You're using compounding, you're using time, and you're gaining that confidence as you're seeing what happens over time. So if at all possible, try and do it at the same time. But I know that many things have to take priority, which of course would be your bills and your high interest debts. But if you can afford to put a little bit aside, even if it's just a tiny amount to start off with, then why not? Learn. And financial resilience can have such a massive impact on your health and well-being. It really does. I mean, what what's the point of coming out of paying loads of debt if you don't have savings then to fall back on because you're just going to go back into debt again? So you do need to have some savings being built up along the, on the side of it. Um, so that when you're debt free, you've got some cash sat there ready to go. You know, it's it's it really does help peace of mind, as does things like insurances. That tends to be something that people get rid of when they can't afford to pay the bills. But actually, that might be the one thing that will stop you from going into huge um, difficulties further down the line if something were to happen. And I know people that have got themselves in a lot of bother by cancelling their insurances, and then someone got sick and or died, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation where you have to leave, you know sell your house at the worst possible time because you're emotional and everything else that's happened so yeah it's um it's it sounds like it's all doom and gloom and it, there is a lot of positive around it but equally we have to be mindful of what we're doing so yeah so talk to your 20 year old self or other 20 year olds life is hard at the moment and and you're absolutely right we've been here before what can people do now in their 20s which means that in their 40s in their 60s they're physically fit financially fit mentally fit yeah I think the younger generations are actually getting a really good balance I'm seeing a lot of younger generations that are not accepting poor working conditions they, they're moving from job to job more you're seeing a lot more migration which is great and I hope more of that continues but I would say use those migrations to your advantage so if you're going from job to job and you've got little pensions being built up in all different places 
try and put it all in one place because then it means then you know okay you might get a new job you know with a different pension but then when you leave that one you can then transfer that into your central pot and then you can see what you're doing so I think always be paying into the pension always be looking at that and being aware of what's going into it um becoming more aware of the sorts of things that you can invest in you know ethical investing is becoming a much bigger thing now um so we can have a voice with our money which is really great um but equally keeping yourself well and looking after your mental health is also really important so not being tempted to kind of burn the candle do all the things all the time you know if you are doing that perhaps take some time out for yourself you know go to the gym go for a walk do some take up a hobby or, or something that doesn't involve you having to be at work all the time because at the end of the day no one wished they worked more on their deathbed did they <laughs> So, um, yeah, but when you're 20s, it's, you're, you've got such a great advantage. You've got time. You know, you don't have to put huge amounts away in your investments and things compared to a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old who have got to put in a huge amount, even not even to get the same. So the, the best time is as soon as you possibly can. Best time definitely in your 20s. Nikki, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Nikki Ramskill there, the female money doctor. And as we said, you can find her on social media or via her website, the female money doctor. And don't forget to look out on our social media channels for a link to download a free copy of Inspirational Investing, which Nikki has contributed to. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at AJ Bell Money Matters. And you'll find a link to our website there where you can sign up to our newsletter, which is full of great tips, links to articles, events and other podcasts. And our podcast wouldn't be complete without another trip to Laura's confessional. And Nikki had a new one for us. Okay, so... Basically, I wanted to go on a trip. I wanted to go on a long trip for six months, something like that. And I could never do it because I wanted to do it when I was 18, got talked out of it. Wanted to do it when I was mid-20s, got talked out of it. I thought, hit my 30s, right, I'm going to do this regardless. And I was telling everybody, I'm going on this trip, I'm taking time out, I literally quit my job. Um, I started saving money. Now... I thought I had enough. <laughs> I I ran out of money on my trip, probably within the first six weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was still paying for things at home as well. I still had bills to pay at home, which, again, in hindsight, was a stupid thing to do. If I could tell my 20-something-year-old, 20, 20 I wouldn't have bought a house at that point. I would have just rented. Um, but anyway, so I was still paying for all these things. So I ran out of money very quickly, which meant I used co my credit cards for the rest of the trip rather than just saying okay i've had a nice time i'm just gonna go home now i was like no i'm here i'm gonna follow this through i'm going to do this so i literally came out of that trip adding to debt i already had and i came i think by the end of it i had something like 50 60 000 pounds worth of debt and it wasn't just the trip it was all the build-up over my medical school days all the build-up of being a you know junior doctor and going out and having fun i just lost control complete and utter control so i really had to work hard to get out of that and even now i still have to keep myself in check otherwise i will just go crazy with a credit card so i'm not the sort of person that can have a credit card and just use it and pay it off every month so i, I have to ban myself over it it's a bit like being an addict i guess like you have to kind of say no 
that's it. I'm not using it. So that's that's my confession. It's the huge amount of debt, and um, for for not even like important stuff. I mean, okay, the trip was amazing. I'm never going to forget it. It was the best time of my life. But yeah, perhaps wasn't the best use of money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Nikki, thanks so much for sharing. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you. So that is it for this week's episode. Next time, we're going to be talking about the really important topic of financial abuse. So do get in touch with any questions you have for us, or you can talk about your own experiences anonymously if you want to. Yeah, a really, really important subject. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, But for this podcast, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.